Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So, like, what the hell? I mean, really, how can you tell? I mean, just give me your first answer. How can you tell if you're even in the game or not? How can you tell if um, you're on your game, you're, you're, you're playing your A game? What's your measuring stick? I know I'm being a little vague here, but so what? How do you tell? How do you tell? Are you showing up for yourself? Are you? Are you showing up for life? What about your potential? Now, I'm not here to tell you anything is required or not required. You can choose whatever the hell you want. You've always been able to choose whatever you want, and that will continue until the end of the end. But how how can you tell? The... uh, I like to look for markers, little uh, nuances that might go unlooked. And uh, there's one about a a racing horse uh, called Secretariat. They made a movie out of Secretariat. And here in the States, there's three races called the Triple Crown. And and if you can win all three races, well, that's just unheard of because every single horse in every single race is the creme of the creme, the, the, the top-notch performer. And the thing about the horse secretariat is not only did the horse win the first two races, but in the last race, now riddle me this, Batman, in the last race, the horse, Secretariat, won not by three lengths or five lengths or ten lengths or fifteen lengths or twenty lengths, racing against the top horses, won by thirty-one lengths. So that right there tells me the measuring stick, the metric that we've been measuring Something's broke in that narrative. 31 lengths to a victory. What is it about our, quote, normal life that has us um, comfortable with where we are? What is it about our, quote, normal life, unquote, that appeases us that maybe gets us to shift our weight back on our heels and not and come out of that engagement of our life. Wow, wow, wow. I'm so happy for this episode. The topic tonight, decoding your emotional blueprint. And our guest is Judy Wilkins-Smith. We're going to bring Judy on in just a minute. It's actually the name of her book, Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint, a powerful guide to transformation through disentangling multigenerational patterns. Well, hell, we could use a lot of that. I'm, I'm very, very delighted for this episode tonight. The the curious thing about that horse race is I suggest that our measuring stick, our, the, the collective measuring stick of what a human being is, what the potential of a human being is, over time has been mm, uh, totally in a totally inadequate to our true, our real, true, genuine potential. I don't think any of us know, I don't think any of us have any clue about ourselves as far as what our real, true potential is. And of of course, for 12 years, we've been talking about awakening the human potential on this show. 
So let's get to it. I'm sure we're going to have plenty to talk about. Again, the topic tonight is decoding your emotional blueprint, and our guest is Judy Wilkins-Smith. Judy says, every human being is born to be remarkable. There you go. And yet every human being is shaped by patterns handed down by their ancestors. Invisible, multi-generational patterns of decisions, thoughts, feelings, actions, inactions, reactions, and choices that limit their response to events that limit that limit their responses to events and influence every decision of their lives, unconsciously running the show. In a series of easy-to-understand steps, Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint shows the reader how to uncover these emotional DNA patterns, understand the limitations and gifts the limitations and the gifts they bring. Embrace them, make new choices, and rewire the brain, allowing the reader to transform and rise up like the phoenix into the best of who they really are. Judy Wilkins-Smith is highly regarded organizational, individual, and family patterns expert, a systematic Systemic executive coach, trainer, facilitator, thought partner, and leadership conference and motivational speaker. She has 18 years of expertise in assisting high-performance individuals, Fortune 500 executives, and legacy families to end limiting cycles and reframe challenges into lasting breakthroughs and peak performance. Let's get to it. Join me in welcoming Judy to the show. Judy, we're finally on the show. Welcome. Hi, Liz. It's great to be with you. Wow. First of all, bravo. I love your book. Wonderful. It's a beautiful... um, uh, I I just love how you cover the topic. We've talked about... um, um, the the imprint of the past many times on the show. Can you kind of give us uh, let's let's lay some groundwork here so the audience knows what we're talking about. When you talk about generational patterns and how it influences the individual, can you start us off with like a ten thousand foot view of what that looks like? Absolutely. So so here's the thing. You come to see me at one of the events and and you say to me, I've been depressed for as long as I can remember. I've always been depressed. And as we start to talk, I ask you, what are mom and dad like? Well, a lot of depression there. And grandparents, a lot of depression there. So then you begin to realize, wait a minute, we have a multi-generational pattern at play here. And the most important thing about that is that the depression doesn't belong to you. It is cycled down as a pattern to you so that you can do something with it. But it doesn't belong to you. And yet you are faithfully holding it in your hands and expressing it in your body as though it were yours. And that is what 90% of us do. We take ancient patterns and pretend they're ours. And don't do so well with it. Yeah, it it can be a little uh, perhaps frustrating. I mean, I, I can just imagine somebody saying, well, there goes my third marriage. Every single one of my marriages ends with divorce. What is wrong with me? I mean, that kind of a, a repetitive stigma, so to speak. How, exactly. How, how is it that we... I mean, right out of the gate, day one of being born, it, it doesn't seem like we have a lot of imprinting, at least um, through our yet-to-be-developed ego. How, how is it that we pick this stuff up? Okay, so there are a number of ways. One of those is 
listening to what mom and dad say or, or the parent, the people around us. We're picking up. We're very assimilative creatures. So we're listening. We're feeling. We're watching. We're, so we're seeing. We're hearing. We're tasting. And we're watching how people around us act and react around different topics. And then we think, oh, so this is the way it is. So, so that's one very simple way. We observe and absorb. But there's another way, an epigenetic imprint. And if something happens that is significant enough in the system, it sets off a reaction. So you have this event, and the event creates a reaction. And the reaction creates language, thoughts, feelings, and actions in response to the event. Well, if we keep reacting and reinforcing those, that becomes a pattern which becomes a mindset, and then the mindset becomes the truth, only it's not the truth, it's your truth, and you can change that anytime you want. But because it's significant, it, it creates an imprint on the system that then becomes a blueprint for generations of behavior, and you see this echoing through the generations. You know, we're sitting here in this uh, radio show talking about decoding our emotional blueprint how many generations sit there and and took on layer after layer of imprinting in their family dynamic i mean it's to to turn around and and heal this stuff to turn around and resolve this stuff is a rather new thing as far as the, the collective consciousness. In in other words, in 1800, it'd be rare that that the masses would be able to know about this stuff, and yet here we are on a public show talking about it. Uh, it it's really a rich time now. The, the generation we're living out now is so rich because we have this kind of information. How do we go about dismantling what we might not even be sure exists within us. Oh, yeah. So you, you can find out pretty quickly once you start working with this stuff that it sure exists. You've got your, your emotional DNA, money DNA, relationship DNA, leadership DNA, career DNA. It's all sitting there. And the way that we first of all identify it is often in the ways that we are super frustrated irritated we feel limited we're stuck we keep hitting the same brick wall over and over again and frequently if you have a history which we don't always have and that's not a problem but if you have a history you will find that you're not the only one and so so what we we've said for many 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 years is oh it runs in the family highly accurate Yes, it runs in the family. It's waiting for you to notice it so you can do something with it. And the beauty of it is the minute that you see the pattern, it has served its purpose. It's drawn your attention frequently to something that is unresolved in the family system or the organizational system. And it's looking to get your attention because we know that systems don't like exclusions and they don't like it when they're out of balance. So when there is an event that creates an exclusion or an out-of-balancedness, then what it does is it keeps looking for solution in later members. So somebody may have something that causes them to be depressed way back and all of a sudden three generations down we have somebody going, why am I so depressed? Well, if you look at so-and-so, they were excluded. Perhaps they were hospitalized or institutionalized. Nobody spoke about it, but the system sure spoke about it. And now it's waiting for you to say, hey, that was excluded. We need to give them their place in the system. Once that happens, you're free to go and make a completely different choice. The minute you see that pattern, you're free to make a different choice. But just a choice of, okay, I'm now going to do it this way and using words. We are profound what I call spell makers. The minute we tie um, an, an emotion to what we're thinking, 
it begins to take on reality in our consciousness. Now we tell ourselves that's the truth. So if it's a really uncomfortable emotion, that becomes uh, a nasty truth or it becomes a limitation. If, however, we look at that and we then look at the heart's desire, which is the other half of the equation, we will see that there's a pattern trying to rest, which is that irritating one, and there's a pattern trying to emerge through you. And frequently that calls to you as a heart's desire, as something that keeps annoying you or provoking you to move, or, or something that has become so uncomfortable that you have to do something different. And when that happens and you look at that and you commit to it and you go, I'm doing this, but you think it and you feel it and your your heart opens and the gut settles, now you're doing the opposite of the horror stories you tell yourself every day and you're going, of course I can do this. I'm doing this. And it becomes something that is so powerful that it pulls you beyond all the old inertias, all the reasons to sit still, all the old excuses, and now you're in the middle of your own adventure. So Very that's nice. how we start looking at it. And and it is it is extremely powerful because we are extremely powerful once once we get ourselves in alignment or harmony with ourselves. So um Oh my goodness, Les, we are we're even better than that. We are powerful, <laughs> period. So here's what happens, right? I ask people all the time, do you watch horror movies? And they go, no. And I say, well, that's interesting because you tell yourself horror stories about yourself all day long and believe them. And we do. You know what's uh, curious to me when I um, I've shared this many times on the show, 25 years ago, I had I had no clue, none whatsoever, that I had um, an issue with anger. Hey, I'm an easygoing guy. What's going on? I didn't have any anger in my in my conscious space, and yet anger was like this huge, strong arm reaching over my shoulder, dragging the steering wheel to the left, taking me off the road. And I'm out mowing down Joshua trees in my fear and loathing Cadillac. <laughs> and but but what I really really want to convey is I had no clue. I had no clue that anger was involved in all my daily decisions. And and who's I, anger, right? Yeah. Well. Um, <laughs> I know where it came from. My my family dynamic and my and my father. I'm sure when my father was thrust into battle in the Pacific, there, there's a HBO series called The Pacific, and it 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 details the the Marines, which he was in the Pacific campaign, and I use the word impale because that's exactly what happened. In in the first days, you you had to get tenacious. At, um, you had to lose your relationship with your heart because you had to kill at will. And I think that made my father extremely angry to to be violated so completely by being thrust into battle. And. Absolutely. And anger was a decisive element in my household, but the way, uh, I suppressed it all. I didn't ever want to be the source of why my mom looked afraid or why my siblings cringed because I awoke dad's anger. So I learned to shove it down. But I just wanted to point out that it's not obvious to us. That's why I started out the conversation on the show about we don't know. We don't know how powerful we are to to dig in the dirt, so to speak, in in our psyche is always a very powerful and beneficial thing. Now, in the in your description, you talk about understand the limitations and the gifts they bring. Can you elaborate on that? 
Oh, absolutely. So um, I think one of my favorite stories, and I, I tell it a lot, um, are things like the girl who came in or lady who came in and said, I want to do my, my piece of work, but I'm going to do it with my back to everybody because I'm a very unworthy person. My my family, I can't belong there. Um, I so want to belong, but I don't belong there. All they ever gave me were little drops of love, and I don't know how to belong. And this was her big limitation, and she kept talking about these little drops of love, little drops of love. And eventually I said to her, tell me, tell me about your parents. Well, they were Holocaust survivors. And um, she said, my brother is fine. He is stoic like they are, and I'm the one with this open heart, and I don't belong. And she goes back to all they gave me were little drops of love, and I said to her, hold on. Do you realize that for them to survive couldn't show emotion and she said yeah I know so I said and yet they found a way to give you what they had just the little drops of love and she said oh and I said what do you like with your own family with your your children she said oh I'm incredibly loving my community knows me as a loving person and I said to her and you think you don't belong of course you belong. You gave your family a legacy. You took those little drops of love and look what you grew. Very nice. Yeah, well, that... we think we've got limitations. I always say to people, they bring me their junk piles only to discover that they're sitting <laughs> with all the gems they could imagine. Well, it's true because, like, to me... Anger, anger is like sexy. That's that's the shit. I mean, when anger wells up in my psyche, I now understand it to say, when I feel my anger well up in me, it's saying, hello, hello, you're being incongruent with yourself here. Oh, and by the way, here's a bunch of energy, raw, intense energy to resolve the problem. Yeah, so and it's, it's also like, saying to you, I am something is being triggered for you. It is yeah. a big clue for you. So what is it a clue to? It's showing me my relationship with the environment, the the trigger mechanism, if you will. And then, like I said, along with it comes this immense amount of high power energy that affords me the ability to make change. I I re. I love and respect anger. A lot yes. of spirits, a lot of spiritual teachers will go, "Oh no, don't feel anger." It's like you know, it's like, come on, every emotion has to have a purpose. I mean, and uh, a place. Yeah. So it's um, the the flip side of what was a, a major. I mean, I was living in karmic concrete with with anger and I had no clue whatsoever. I had no clue that anger was a prominent part of my life. And now the gift of it is I can, when that, that anger energy comes up, I can channel it in very healthy ways and resolve things very quickly. And which um, is amazing. It's become an agent of change in your hands. Look what you did. Oh my! And I I share this to to help the listener, um, uh, not judge themselves so quickly as far as knowing the whole picture of themselves. I mean, exactly. it, it's it's kind of like an onion. You, you peel yourself, uh, you know, you peel off layers and heal and heal and and uh, it's always worthwhile to to reapproach it. So how did you, Judy, how did you um, get into this? Uh, is, there, is there an example of this in your life story? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little wild, actually. So what happened we was... We do wild. Um, 
good because we'd moved here. My father was killed. And it was a question of being in such a bad state of grief that it was either go crazy or write books. And I figured that writing books was probably a bit better than going crazy. So I went for the books. And um, I was doing research for one of them, and I, I stumbled into this work. And the person who was doing it at the time said, come and learn the work with me, and I'll help you with a book. So I went and learned the, the work and got absolutely no help with the book, by the way. But that sort of started the journey for me. And then I was, I was a ways into it, and somebody said to me, well, of course you're going to know how to do this work. And I went, why? And they said, well, because you're from South Africa. And I went, okay. Well, that's where it originated. I didn't know, but yes, it did. It originated with uh, Bert Hellinger going down to go and, as he puts it, tame the Zulu tribe. Only, he says, they tamed him. And he began to realize that there was something profound about the way they dealt with their issues. They would go back into their systems to see what was not right that was coming in through them. So the other piece that's intriguing with that, though, is when I left South Africa, the person who gave my farewell was a Zulu gentleman. And he said to me, you may, you may be leaving us, but you will find a way to represent us in the world. And I laughed. And now I do it every day. So I guess wow. you had the last laugh. Well, give it, can you share some examples of the kind of transformation you've seen in individuals uh, before and after kind of thing so the audience oh can goodness. understand oh, yeah. what what, yeah. what there is to be harvested? <laughs> sure. It, it, it really runs the gamut. I've had, I had a lady come in, a um, very old-looking lady, um, hobbling on two sticks, very overweight, struggling and uh, she told us her story and the story went a little along the lines of she'd been beaten accidentally by her own side she was an ex-FBI agent she'd been beaten by someone on her own side um, it had crippled her she hadn't done well since then so I said to her, well let's let's have a look let's see what's going on she said I just I can't function so we had a look turns out Two generations before that, her grandmother had been beaten to within an inch of her life by her great-grandmother for getting pregnant. So there we have a repetition of the beating pattern. So we go through all of this and, and we give it its rightful place and we reframe the beating and look at what she got from that. And she said, yeah, I, you know, I, I've kind of found the will to live that really didn't exist in my family. I haven't got a lot of it, but I've got some. Well, that's a step. So off she goes, and I'm used to the fact that sometimes people will go off. We don't see them again. And about six months later, um, we're sitting at an event, and this lovely young person comes waltzing in and says, Hi, everybody, and gives me a hug. And I'm like, Hi, I guess. I have no idea who you are, but hi. And it was the same person. She'd gone down five dress sizes, didn't need the sticks anymore because she realized the sticks didn't belong to her. They belonged to her grandmother. She had gotten herself back in shape, and she was speaking all over the country. So that's kind of a, an intriguing health one. The other one that I see often and work with often is, I, I, I joke, I say, I have worked with so many people who've come and done money DNA, who've become millionaires. I think it's time I started charging a fee. And uh, <laughs> it's once, once they look at uh, their money DNA, the limiting money DNA, and they often realize what they're telling themselves and how they're stuck. And when that comes unstuck, suddenly... Instead of money being a commodity, they realize it is a relationship and a friend. And when they begin to interact with it that way, everything changes. So I've seen plenty of that. In relationships, and we're not just talking couples, we're talking all sorts of relationships, I've seen people come in hating their parents. Only because we use a constellation, which I'll explain in a minute. But when they actually see 
a representation of the parent and the parent's whole set of patterns. Often anger becomes insight, becomes compassion, becomes kindness, becomes love, becomes connection. So I see a lot of that. Now, I, I said we use a constellation, and a constellation, for anyone who doesn't know, is a 3D representation of the issue that you bring to work with. So what we do is we identify all the components of the issue, and then we ask the client to choose a representative for each one. If I'm working solo with a client, then I'll use pieces of paper, but at a live event, we actually use live representatives. And so what happens is this, and this is probably one of the most remar remarkable aspects of this work. Suddenly, you're seeing your entire issue or your family system or whatever it is in front of you in 3D. It's not locked into your head anymore. Now you're seeing it, hearing it, touching it, smelling it, sensing it. You're walking into the middle of the pattern. You're sharing with me what you typically say about this, but then you're beginning to notice the relationships between the different elements, the disconnects, what happened if we were to take someone like you spoke of with your father and set up a representative for your father and then set up a representative for the war and for all the soldiers, you would see him then connect to those representatives because as human beings, we're very able to transfer our thoughts and emotions onto different objects. So now you're seeing all of these soldiers, you're seeing dad's anger, you would hear from him the conversations that he never got to complete, that he now gets to complete. And that would be another one. I, I worked with a, a war vet who hadn't been able to sleep more than an hour and a half at a time for over nine years. And we did a piece of work, and I set it up this way, and he was able to say the things he'd never been able to say, complete the conversations he'd not been able to complete, um, tell his wife and children who were watching, I never came back. I'm still there. And they could get it. And when he finished... He collapsed into his chair and they had to take him home. And he slept for about 24 hours. Wow. Well, you know, the as we talk about the generational connection of this and how our physical body responds to some of these stigmas, perhaps a lot of what has been um, tagged or labeled um, hereditary genetic uh, disposition is perhaps um, better described as uh, generational patterns of subconscious imprinting, and it's not per se in our um, it, it's not locked in our body's DNA. It, it, the reason I say that is you shared the example of the. Uh, overweight person coming in on sticks and then once the consciousness once the the stigma in within their persona is resolved the the body responded in kind so to speak and it wasn't yeah, per se have, it, it yeah, wasn't locked in their DNA back. that's right that's right <clears throat> she could hand it back to the person it belonged to she could say to her great-grandmother, these sticks don't belong to me. Or her grandmother, this beating doesn't belong to me either. This is you, and I have to leave it with you, but I see you. Right. To be able to uh, have compassion for them. To I mean, when, when you see uh, how it got perhaps instilled in the in the generational pattern because like um, with my father it's like oh my god how how dearly he quote paid the price for um, I mean we were talking before the show started and and within the last week or so this was really transformational for me I've been 
I'm 62. I had lived 60 years of my life, and I had no clue about my dad. I, I knew he was a Marine in the Pacific campaign, but my dad would never, never talk about the battles, and I didn't understand. And then a while back, my cousin, who was my dad's brother's kid, I apparently read all the letters that my dad wrote when he was in the war, and he shared with me so much information about my dad that I had never known. I didn't know my dad was a sergeant. I didn't know my dad had a thousand troops come through his his command and over 900 return in a body bag. And... Uh, um, there's the anger, right? Oh my God! Because I know, yeah. I know for a fact he was a compassionate, loving person, and to have these kids' lives ripped out of his care, he would want everyone to come back. And what in the last week, the tenacity, the resolve, the drive, the intensity—my dad was extremely intense. It's like a bubble popped, and. And the traits became mine. I'm tenacious. I have resolved because of what my the price my father paid. And now I'm more resolved than ever, ever in my life to take this tenacity, to take this resolve, this this intensity, and with a, a, a compassionate and open heart, take the same traits that my dad paid so in my Dad paid such a intense price for these attributes. He didn't ask, he didn't consciously ask for it, but he was impelled with them in a very short period of time. And now I have them as part of my persona, and I feel so empowered. I feel so happy. It's kind of weird because I'm talking about pain my father went through. But damn, I'm a tenacious son bitch, and when I put my mind to something, <laughs> it's going to happen. And that was a gift of a price that my father paid, and I thank him so dearly, so very dearly from my heart. That, and I want to honor that, his sacrifice for the rest of my life. And that's beautiful in the way that you honor it is to exactly take that tenacity and you turn it into something for really, really good, powerful good. It's like the anger. If you use it for powerful good, it's no longer anger. It simply becomes an intensity that you can yes. channel. Yeah. Yes. And so all of what you're doing is you're taking it and going, Dad, I don't need to do it the same way. I can use this and I can do it differently. Watch me. Yes. I'm so happy. I'm just so happy that I guess <laughs> I guess I'm happy that I've come to the the understanding or the resolve of it. And I I guess one more thing I would add to it is when that bubble popped, I was born into a intense household and it was an environmental aspect the intensity was an environmental aspect of my household. And just this last week, it popped, and now it's not an environmental anything to me. My intensity is is an attribute of me, and there's no uh, exchange with the environment that's related to intensity. And, and had I gone the rest of my life and not had that experience, I wouldn't understand. I wouldn't understand these wonderful gifts that my my father gave me through great expense of his own. I'm just so happy I've come to realize it. I think you hit on something that's incredibly important, and certainly in this work. Everything and everyone in your life is a gift. You just have to know how to see it. Very nice. Well, now, when when we think about your book, 
if you think about the audience listening now, who did you write this book for? Who Who's going to relate to this book? Oh, my goodness, yeah. I'll tell you what happened. A lot of people said to me to begin with, hey, we can't always, we're not always around you or at an event. What do we do? Because you know what you're talking about, and when you're talking about it, we understand. But how do we? So what I did was it was very important for me that I wrote a book that anybody, anywhere in the world, would want to pick up and go, oh, there's something I can do here. You mean I I can actually have an incredible life? I'm not a train smash. And I wrote it for every single person. I always say, transformation isn't for the chosen few, it's for those who choose it. And I wrote this so that anybody who wanted a better life in any way could read this book and apply it and they'd have it. And that you did. It's a, I'm holding it in my hands. It's a wonderful book. I think you've done a fabulous job with it. I recommend it. Um, so let's look at your life. I, to put you on the spot in a kind and generous way, <laughs> To how has your life changed? I mean, if you look at the before and after of your life, going back uh, 10, 20 years, whatever, how is how are you different today as a result of this material? I would say there are a number of things. So first of all, people say to me often, well, it's fine for you. You've had a blessed and charmed life. And then I start <laughs> to share what I've been through and they go, oh. <laughs> but here was the thing. I started this work. I could have been somebody who wrote different books. I could have stayed at home. But when dad was killed, I always say he gave me a final gift, and it was this. It was, you can't afford to just sit around. You better do something, and I started doing this work. So had it not been for that, I would not be doing what I do now. The, the other way that it's changed me is it's, uh, I, I can't, it's, it makes it more difficult to judge I mean, I can still get up there and judge with the best of us, but that's only <laughs> until I catch myself and go, really? Really? And how's that working for you? Because right. what happens is when you do this work and you understand that there is a reason for everything and everybody, it takes on a very, very different feeling. And you begin to look at people and events very differently. So there's that. Um, I get to work with incredible people all around the world because I work with Fortune 50 and Fortune 500 executives all over the world. So that certainly has changed. It did another very interesting thing. I swear I was surrounded by mystics because when I was eight, I told my teacher I was going to be a doctor. And she said to me, oh, no, no, no. You're going to write uh, books and you're going to work with people's hearts not their bodies. And I went, no. So I went and did the medical thing for a while and then moved over here and this happened. And she said to me, and Tracy will be a doctor. And I went, no, I'm the doctor. Well, Tracy's the doctor and I'm doing what she said. So um, she she knew a little something. How else has it changed me? I, it, has, it has taught me that truly, truly, human potential isn't an idea. It is an absolute reality. And when we begin to employ that, you see very quickly that you are a remarkable life when you know how to see it. And that transformation isn't, isn't something to be suffered into. It is something that is incredibly logical, yet deeply transformative. And once you've been through some of those gates and used that in this work, it's very much a one-way door. You cannot unsee what you have seen. You cannot dumb down anymore. Sorry, that, that boat sailed. So it's changed a lot. And, uh, yeah, it's given me, it's also taught me that I can take myself down to hell if I choose, but that by doing that thing which we're powerfully capable of doing and harnessing 
elevated emotions like gratitude, kindness, joy, and harnessing that to a goal or a purpose, we can actually create very different truths and very different lives. And I would also say the thing that fascinates me the most is that 90% of the time, 90% of the population is simply repeating ancient history. It's only when we know what is in our system that we begin to live in the generous present and we begin to understand that your inevitable future is no longer the same the minute you change one thought, one feeling, and one action. Very well said. Well, 2020 and and 2021 really kind of cracked us open as a collective, uh, individually and collectively. Like you said, uh, such a, uh, a vast swath of Humanity is, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, you know, going through the motions. Uh, and and it's really, I, I think I've said this for many years on the show, this is a fabulous, fabulous time to be alive because we're watching the collective consciousness of a planet reprogram itself to to the level perhaps never seen before in history and and here we are talking about it and, and living the danger it. is if we're not aware of it we may just miss it but if we're aware of it people have no idea what they're capable of you spoke about 2020 and 2021. It's exactly why my event this year, my live event, is Capability and Resilience DNA. Because we've been through a lot, but we're not looking. We don't realize the capabilities we've grown or the resilience we've started to, to create. And we need to be aware. Wow. Very well said. Oh, my gosh. Well, I... Th- I think um, the work you're doing and the book you've written here, this is um, really spot on for for the listener to be able to take a delve in, within themselves. It's like like I was saying, I had no clue I had a, a major anger component in my psyche, and you know. Um, and and even as a parent, I've always thought that um, perhaps the best thing I can do in my life is to heal my generation. My my mother and my father came through the World War era, and they handed life to me, and now I'm living my generation, and I have my kids. And I look at what I was handed and what I want to hand, and so I've I've been really committed to doing everything I can to heal myself, and and that's why I'm so I've had multiple breakthroughs in my life as far as uh, aha moments, and that's why I knew when I saw your book and looked at the content that you'd be perfect for the show. Oh, I'm so grateful to be with you. Well. How would reality be different? Here's a here's a really broad question. I mean, you've seen the transformation of yourself and and your relationship to life. If we could uh, make the the right Kool Aid to transform uh, the majority of of consciousness of humanity on the planet, how would life, I mean, how would we daydream what heaven would look like, so to speak? Wow. Yeah. I do. And here's the deal. We've got the Kool-Aid. All we've got to do is be able to see it, which is exactly what this work does. It literally makes the invisible visible. And the piece that happens with that is that begin to realize that we've got to create games that are big enough for everyone to play. And we already do it, but we forget it. I always say to people, look at Apple, look at Starbucks, look at Disney. They don't care 
what kind of demographic, race, ethnicity, religious, whatever it is that you are. If you want to come play, come play. And they figured out that there's a place for everybody to belong. Now, we can do that. What we do at the moment is we all fight over diminishing slices of pie instead of baking a bigger pie. So what we would do is we would start baking incredible pies that people would want to come eat. Nice. I like that, that, that inclusiveness. Um, what an exciting time to be alive. Um, well, what would surprise us the most about your book? If, if the listener would, were to buy your book, what, what are some of the hidden gems in the book that might not be so obvious? I would say uh, that there are lots of practical pieces that are baked in, so you're not just reading. I want you to be able to get up, use the book, walk around with it, do what it says to do. But what you're going to discover is that it's going to, it's going to take away your resistance and your stubbornness and your places where you refuse to look. And the only thing that it's doing with that is it's saying, hey, what else is possible here? It's, it's also pointing out that those are exactly the places where the doors to the next level exist. And um, I have people who say to me, yeah, but isn't this really hard work? And I ask them, so, so do you play video games? Yeah. Well, what do you do when you get to a level where you don't crack it the first time? I do it again but why because I want to get to the next level but why because it's fun exactly life is no different very nice well now if I'm in a if I'm in a relationship a spouse or whatever and I start um, because what I'm getting at is when we live with patterns, our ego is typically, quote, comfortable, unquote, with a pattern, even though it might be dysfunctional, it can mm-hmm. be, it can be uh, comfortable with the knowingness that the pattern will re- recreate itself. So in, a, in a, re- a close relationship experience, if one of the spouses starts unraveling themselves, how does that ripple into the relationship dynamic? It's a very interesting thing. Uh, what pe- the first thing I tell people is, please, when you do this work, if you come to an event with me or if you read the book, there is one basic law. Do not go vo- verbally vomit over everybody else around you. <laughs> That's really bad manners. So don't do that. But what you will do is you begin to realize that, hey, I have this person in my life for a really good reason. I'd better pay attention because they're here to serve me. And very next, how am I here to serve them? Now, I have a lot of people who will come and they say, you know what, I'm going to come to your event, but the problem is nobody else in my family is ever going to do this work. And I go, oh, yeah, okay. I'll see them in a year, and they go, no, you don't get it. I'm open to this. Nobody's going to do this work. And I always say to them, yeah, Harry met Sally, and they go, what do you mean? And I say, all you've got to do is do what you're doing. And in a little while, they're going to say, I don't know what you're eating, but I want some of that too. Right. Very nice. Well, yeah. time, time can fly pretty fast. Uh, let's, let's put the spotlight on you, your book, your your platform. Share with us how the audience can get your book, what services you offer. Are they in person, online? Give us the whole picture, please. I will give you the whole picture. So the book, you can get at Barnes & Nobles, any good uh, indie book, Amazon, any of those, you will find the book. Um, it's now, by the way, in six countries and being translated into five languages. So that's also helpful to know. Uh, you will find on my website, judywilkins-smith.com, 
you will find links to the book. You'll also find links to Constellations Meditations that I've created, and that's a, a global first. And it takes you all the way through one of these processes, in and out the other side. The, uh, it's a meditation of the mother and the meditation of the father. So it connects you to both of those lines. And then in terms of uh, live events, I have one in Dallas in August. And then I have one at Disney World, November 10 through 13. And uh, that's the resili Capability and Resilience DNA. So it's exploring all the issues through that lens. And um, I know whenever I do one at Disney, people tell me over and over again, my life was never the same again. Now, the one at, uh, in August in Dallas is the foundational one, which teaches all of the tenets of this work, and uh, it takes you on your, your deep journey into you. And then I'm also an executive coach, as I said, to leaders around the world, so they can contact me via my website. And yes, I do do private sessions when I have a little bit of time over, uh, which is not a lot, but it's there. And um, yeah, that's about me. And I may be coming to a city near you. I know I'll be in Santa Barbara. I don't know exactly when. And I know I'm going down to Unity Church, Austin's Unity Church of the Hills, I believe, in September. So those are popping up all over too. Well, beautiful. Well, do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? Yeah, I would say, gosh, it's so, so important that you realize you are a remarkable life if only you know how to see it. And it's time to learn. Well, very nice. Judy, I've had such a good time with this episode. I love your material. I love your book. I want to thank you for being our guest tonight on the show. I've really enjoyed it. Les, thank you. It's been an absolute privilege. We've been talking with Judy Wilkins-Smith, and the topic tonight has been the name of her book, Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint, A Powerful Guide to Transformation Through Disentangling Multigenerational Patterns. Wow. I tell you what, um, I don't, I can't fathom, I can't even dream of a way that you as a human persona, you as a human genome, you as a human being could ever exhaust your potential because you're a, a vast multidimensional soul shoehorned into a physical body and your soul can inspire you now and now and now forever. But in, if we have these subconscious motivational patterns imprinted in us and we don't do anything about it, chances are it's going to be more the same. Chances are you can get the proverbial map out and draw a straight flipping line about where your life's going to go because you're in a repetitive pattern cycle. So that's what I really like about tonight's episode. It, it, um, Judy did a wonderful job with her book and as a guest tonight to to really bring some insight for you, the listener, to take a look at your own multi-generational patterning that you're, you're playing out in your life now. What an exciting time to be alive. It's my passion and my purpose to bring you episodes like this, to help you recognize just how how powerful, how fabulous, how fantastic you are as a as a dynamic, living, breathing expression of of consciousness, of of really un, untapped potential that you, you 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 just can't exhaust it. It's always a pleasure to spend this time with you. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Thanks for listening. Until next time. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect 
and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.